You can go ahead and have a seat. As always, we understand here at the Capitol Church that you could be all kinds of different places on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so we're really, really thankful to have you. Want to just walk with you, journey with you wherever you're at. Uh, you are here on a really special Sunday, I think, in the life of our church. We have an opportunity to have somebody that I'm really excited uh, to, to give a voice to our church at this stage especially. Uh, somebody that uh, is about to plant a church in West Lafayette, Indiana. If you're unfamiliar, um, we are part of what's called the SALT Network. And what we do is we start local churches near major universities. Uh, and not only do we do local churches that are multi-generational, uh, which is what you're a part of here this morning, but we also start college ministries on major university campuses. Our church obviously is here. We have a college ministry named SALT Company that's on Ohio State's campus uh, we have the privilege of having with us in our midst a church that has launched this fall, a salt company that has started at Purdue University this fall, and their Sunday morning gatherings uh, are starting on October 22nd. And so it's a great privilege that we have the lead pastor, a guy named Jordan Adams, good friend of mine, a guy that I think is marked uh, by saying hard yeses. Uh, as I've looked at the life of Jordan, uh, a guy who's from Ames, Iowa, who said a hard yes, uh, didn't go to school to go into ministry, but made a hard yes to join a college ministry staff, and then another hard yes to move his family up to Minneapolis, where he started a salt company at the University of Minnesota. He was there. His family got uh, woven in that community, and then another hard yes to lift his family from that place, move them to Indiana to start a local church there and a salt company in a new place. Uh, a guy who's marked by humility and faithfulness to whatever God would have. And we're privileged to have with us here this morning Jordan Adams. And so Jordan, come on up. Uh, I, I, want to, I want to pray for Jordan. Uh, and then again, I'm excited for, for him to open up the Bible and, and lead us to a place that I'm excited about where he's going to lead us. And I think he's a voice that we really need over uh, our community here. So, so let, me, let me pray for Jordan. Father, what a gift we have uh, to have the chapel, their staff and spouses here with us this weekend. Just so thankful, so thankful for Jordan and Jessamy's example uh, of saying yes and moving to places that they think you want them and in places that they think they can be used for your glory. We're thankful to have them here this morning and their whole team. God, allow us to be changed and transformed by what you have for us this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Luke. It's a lot of overhype. Don't believe the press, um, but I am glad to be with you guys. I, hey, I want to I wanna congratulate you on your win last night. Yeah, take that, Lou Holtz. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it or, or don't. It's, it's fine either way, but uh, we were, I was talking to one of my staff as we were taking a tour uh, around campus yesterday, and they were like, man, they, they like football a lot here, huh? And it's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do, they do. So congratulations. Um, yeah, my name's Jordan, like Luke said. I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys. So one of the things that Jessamy and I were considering as we were looking for a place to plant a church was, yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with, with our network, but as it's expanding, I think our network is going to get more and more regional. And so one of the things we cared a lot about is what are the other churches in the area that we just believe God's hand is uniquely on and frankly that we just want to be friends with. And 
you guys were one of those churches that we were thinking about. It's been a privilege to get to know Luke. I've heard stories of what's going on here. And you guys, as well as some of the other churches in the region, are actually part of the reason why we came to West Lafayette. And so we're actually hoping that we become great friends with you guys and can do life and ministry together uh, for a lot of years. So like Luke said, we are about to launch publicly as a church. And so if you guys would be praying for us October 22nd, it's, it's coming. But today I'm excited to be with you guys. So we're not thinking about that stuff. Uh, we're excited about what God is, is doing here. And I'm excited to open the word with you. And so let, let's jump into it here. I want to start out by asking you a, a big question, okay? What is the purpose of your life? All right, pause. Maybe you're feeling a little bit awkward. Okay, you don't know me. I'm getting up in your grill immediately. That is a big question about your life. Or maybe another reason you could feel awkward in this moment is because maybe if you were honest, if you start to think about that question, what is the purpose of your life? Why are you alive? You might not actually have a clear answer to that. And you probably intuitively know that that's a question that you want an answer to. In fact, it might be the most important question that you could ask about your life, and not having clarity on that will lead to a challenging life and maybe even a wasted life. And so I want to ask this question, not only for just that theoretical moment of, of how do you think about what you're, what you're here for, why you were born, but because it's actually a really practical question. Because in order for your life to have utility, for it to be useful, for it to matter practically in the world, you need to know what it's for. Right? Think about it like, okay, the utility of a hammer is contingent on you knowing that, that it's a hammer, not a spoon. If you take a hammer to some mashed potatoes, it's not going to go well. And you're going to be frustrated because it wasn't actually built to be used as a spoon. If you take a spoon to a nail, you're going to be frustrated and it's not going to go well unless it's a really big spoon, right? Because you're not using it for what it's for, what it was made for. There is a very specific purpose for your life, a reason why you were born. And I want to talk about what that is this morning and your life will matter in direct proportion to the amount that you understand this and align how you live with it. And frankly, it won't matter if you don't understand this. So we're going to go to Psalm 145. If you'd flip there with me, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Whether if you've got an app or you've got a Bible, if you're new to the Bible like all of us were at one point, the Psalms are a big book right in the middle of the Bible. We're going to Psalm 145. So that first number is the, the chapter, and then after that is the, the verse number. So the little numbers that you'll see there are the verses. Psalm 145, verse, we're going to start out in verse 1. We're going to look at the whole psalm today, but I want to start out in verse 1. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. So in these two verses, we have a, a descriptor 
of what David, the, the guy who wrote this psalm, what he's doing and what he's devoting his life to, and, and therefore what we should do as well. So I want to point out the action words in these two verses. So the first one is exalt, that's verse 1. The next one is bless, that's verses 1 and 2. And then he's also praising verse 2. He's exalting, blessing, and praising God. Let me unpack a little bit what those, word means, what those words mean. Exalt means to make high and lift it up. There's two categories of existence, fundamentally only two. There's creator and creation. Those are the two categories. God alone is creator and everything else is creation. Therefore, everything else is under his authority and submits to him. So God is alone in his power and his whole category of existence. That's what it means for God to be exalted. That next word, to bless means to speak favor on. Think of the way that a parent would bless a wedding. To speak favor. We're for this, not against this. And then to praise means to admire. So an overarching category for these words, when you combine them together, what is it that David is doing and that therefore we should be doing? Well, you could summarize it like this. It's, it's worship. He's worshiping God. So I want to tell you how Christians have thought about worship for centuries. So this is a line from the Westminster Catechism, which is just, it, it's an ancient belief statement. And these words might be a little bit unfamiliar to you, but, but I'll unpack them, so stick with me. Here's what it says. It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what essentially all Christians affirm that the chief end of man or human beings is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that word glorify, it means something like to praise and worship. It can mean multiple things, but in this context, I think it primarily means to praise or worship, to to proclaim glory and goodness to something. And then most people understand the and in that statement. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Most people understand that to actually mean functionally by. To glorify God by enjoying him forever. That the primary way we worship God is by delighting him, enjoying him, celebrating him. So here's what Christians have affirmed for centuries is that doing that, that worshiping God by enjoying him is the chief end of man. In other words, it's, it's the singular purpose for which human beings exist. It's the, it's the purpose of your life. The utility of your life is based on your engagement with this, with this idea you were born to worship. And so to summarize it, the purpose of your life, why you're here, why you're, why you're breathing, the purpose of your life is to joyfully worship God forever. Now, why is worshiping God that important? Why is it the singular purpose of your life? I'm going to give you three reasons from Psalm 145. Because you need it, because God deserves it, and and it's for the next generation. You need it, God deserves it, and for the next generation. And then after we talk about those, we're going to talk about how to actually do it. How do you actually engage in worship? Now, I want to clarify something briefly before I get into this. The word worship is sort of an overarching term. Here's what we know, partially because of of Romans 12, is that all of your life is offered up to God as worship if you're a Christian. 
So there's no sacred, secular divide. It's not like when you're at church, you're worshiping, and when you're somewhere else, you're not. When you're reading your Bible, that's worship. When you're going to work, it's not. Your entire life is an offering lived up to God. So all of your life is offered up to him as worship. And so that's the the big concept of worship. But I think Psalm 45 is talking specifically about a subset of worship, which is in particular where you're declaring and celebrating how good he is primarily publicly. In other words, what we're doing right now. Why does what we're doing matter so much that it's worth giving your life to it or it's worth some people moving to a new place and uprooting the lives that they had in order to create that? Why does it matter? That's what we're talking about, this worship subset. So first up, we worship because we need it. Look back at verse 2. So he's saying that, that he's worshiping God on a daily basis, right? But notice how that daily rhythm of worship is surrounded by language about, about eternity. So he's connecting who you are now with what you will do and what you will be forever. So by worshiping now, you're tapping into something that is eternal, something that, that's at the very core of creation and is itself the core of who you are that will last forever in God if you know him. So worship is connecting heaven with earth in you. Worship is turning you into the type of person who can live with God forever. Now, I want to make an important clarifier with these words that we just mentioned about exalting, blessing, praising God. Here's what I want to point out is that God is already those things. Okay, this is, this is important. God is already exalted. He's already in a category by himself. He's already blessed. He has a favorable name. He's already admirable. God does not need something from you. So when he's talking about worship, it's not primarily because he, he has something that he lacks that he's trying to get from you. No, 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 you're the, the creation. He's given you everything that you have. So it's not that he's trying to get something out of you primarily. God wants worship, but you're the one who needs it. You need worship. And here's why. is because when you worship, you're aligning yourself with reality. God exists. He's good. He's beautiful. He's amazing. He rules over everything, and he's worthy to be praised. That is objectionably true. Objectively true, sorry. Objectively true. And when you worship, you are aligning yourself with that reality. Worship is reality. Non-worship is delusion. And think about when someone is living in a delusion. They're living in a world that doesn't actually exist. It's damaging to them, and it's damaging to everyone around them. And the same is true of non-worship. We worship because we need to experience and enjoy reality. We need to tap into who we truly are, both now and forever. So we worship because we need to align ourselves with what's true and what's good. But secondly, we also worship because God deserves it. So the structure of Psalm 45, 145 works like this. The beginning and the end are these bookends that are, that are calls to worship. So that's verses 1 and 2 and verses 21. But then in the middle there is a description of the attributes of God. So specifically 3 through 7 is about God's greatness, and 8 through 20 is about God's goodness. 
So we're going to dig into that now, the attributes of God, why God deserves worship. First up, God deserves worship because of his greatness. Verse 3, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Now, I want you to listen into that second phrase. It maybe sounds familiar to you. I want you to think about that. No one can measure his greatness. God is immeasurably great. God is infinite. And all of his attributes are infinite. That's why he's immeasurably great. You can't even conceive of the reality of his greatness. I'm going to get slightly philosophical on you, okay? Fair warning, but stick with me. God is infinitely great. So here's what that means, is you could learn something about the greatness of God every second, starting right now. You learn something great about God, learn something great about God, learn something great about God. You could do that, and I could leave you, and I could come back in 15 billion years, and you would not have run out of things that are great about God. His greatness is infinite. Typically, your imagination is stronger than reality. Typically, your imagination is stronger than reality. That's why you daydream. That's why you imagine things is because you're imagining, you're creating this world that you want to live in. Just me and I were talking a while back about our uh, treat yourself days. So it was the, the parameters of this exercise were like, if you had one day where you could do anything you want, there was no limiting factors. What are you doing? And I came up with an awesome day. And I'm not going to tell you about it because it's going to take too long, but it involves like helicopters, sailboats, private islands, Pebble Beach. It, guys, it, it was awesome. Come talk to me afterwards. But uh, so we're talking about our, our treat yourself days. Here, here's the deal is I can easily imagine something that is better than my own life, even if my life is amazing. So if I told you right now, I want you to imagine the greatest possible day that you could imagine. You all, that, that imagined day will be better than the actual day that you're about to have, even if you're going to have a great day. Why? Because imagination is typically more powerful than reality, except in this instance. No matter how great of a concept that you could come up with about God, the actual God who exists is better. Reality is better than imagination in God. That's astounding. In, in fact, if, if you took every single person on planet Earth, so about 8 billion people, and if you could somehow create this mind meld of imagination and you told all of those 8 billion people to imagine the greatest possible thing that they could conceivably think of, that collective imagination would fall drastically short of the reality that is actually true in God and Jesus Christ. That is the God that you serve. He is unimaginably, unmeasurably great. That is the world that you actually live in. And that demands a response. Now, there are some of you here that the greatness of God, you might grasp a little bit of that reality, but it doesn't produce worship, it produces fear. Because here's, here's what we just said about God. Is that God is raw, unadulterated, unchecked power. 
you know, you guys probably grew up with me hearing about the checks and balances in our government, and the point is that one branch of government isn't going to become too powerful. Because we're rightly, in, in a lot of ways, suspicious of power because we feel like power is dangerous. And so how in the world could that type of unchecked power from God cause you to worship? Well, the answer is because it's paired with something. Look at verse 7. And before I read it, I just want you to understand, if you understood this verse, if you internalized this, it would change your entire life. Your, your view of the world, your view of your circumstance of your life, your anxiety, your boredom, your resentment towards life, all of that would be different if you internalize this verse, verse 7. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. See, it's not just that God is great, it's also that he's good. Which means that if you are in Christ, his power is leveraged for your benefit all the time. God deserves worship because he is great, but he also deserves it because he's good. If you're a Christian, and by that I mean that you've put your soul, faith, and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and are, are seeking to follow him, if you are a Christian, do you know that everything that comes your way in life is a result of the kindness of God? That literally everything in your life is an overflow of the goodness of God. I just want to encourage you not to do that thing in your brain right now. You know that thing where you have the objections and it's like, but what about this? But what about this? And there's evil in the world. I, I get that. I get some of those realities are challenging. But I want you to see what this text is saying. That the foundation of truth is the character of God revealed in the Bible. So your, your, your faith doesn't submit to your rationality. Your rationality submits to your faith. And here's what your faith tells you, is that God's kindness is always on you. And his power is leveraged for you. He's for you. He's not against you. How do I know? Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Do you know that God that it's really hard for him to get angry. Some of you grew up with parents that it was really easy for them to get angry and you were walking on eggshells throughout your life and you projected that back onto God and when you think about God's face, it's riddled with disappointment and anger. God is slow to get angry. It's hard for him to get angry at his kids. You know what God feels towards you right now if you're in Christ? Absolute unrelenting delight you know what God feels towards you in the moment of your sin if you're in Christ delight because you're his kid and that sin can't separate you from him he's compassionate he's filled with unfailing love look back at the the second half of that verse filled is a term of quantity and unfailing is a term of quality so quantity, the quantity of God's love. God is filled with it. He's brimming to overflowing with love. Now we should be careful about conceiving of God too much in spatial terms because God is, is spirit. He, he's everywhere, but just for the sake of illustration, 
Let's think of him that way for a second. So God, if he were a container, would be a massive container, okay? And he is filled to brimming and overflowing with love. A glass filled with water is not that impressive. An ocean filled with water is. A human being filled with love, eh, impressive-ish. A God filled with love, unimaginably amazing. That's the quantity of his love. What about the quality of his love? It's unfailing. Unfailing. I have a to-do list that I set out every day. And every day I'm so optimistic that I'm going to get all those things done. I'm every day, I'm overly confident, and I almost never get them done for a variety of reasons. One of them is I have a two-year-old. My two-year-old is perfectly capable of overriding my intentions for the entire day. My intentions are to work. Joy's intentions are to get a snack from me. And that snack intention beats out my intention. A two-year-old is able to thwart what I'm trying to do in a day. God's not like that. He's unfailing in his intentions. Never once has God failed. Never once has he set out to do something and been distracted from it or stopped from doing it. Here's God's intentions for you, if you are in Christ, to relentlessly, unconditionally love you every day forever. And he will never fail in that tension. Every day of your life, God has been there, he's been pursuing you, and he has loved you, and he will never stop a day into the future, because that's how good he is. Verse 9, he showers his creation with compassion. Think about that analogy of a, of a shower. With, when you're in the shower, everything in that area is wet, because it's just this constant stream of water. We are sitting underneath this constant stream of God's compassion, where all of creation is drenched in his kind goodness towards his people in his creation. This is what I'm saying. God is better at being compassionate towards you than you are at not deserving it. We are filled to the brim with sin. God is filled to the brim with love. He's a bigger container than we are. There's more of his love than there is of our sin. The quality of his goodness outlasts the quality of your sinfulness. If you're in Christ, it is an actual physical impossibility for you to outsin the compassion of God. It is more likely for you to stand there and jump to the moon than it is for you to be able to outsin the love of God because it's categorically more powerful than you are. That's what the love of God is like. So what in the world do you do when you encounter a God like that? What could you possibly do? Are you going to pay him back? He's God. He made everything. Everything you have is already his. How are you going to pay him back? What's your plan? Are you going to thank him? Yeah, you should do that. It's not enough. You can't thank him enough for being who he is and what he's done in your life and that he'll never abandon you. So what do you do? You worship. It's the only possible thing that you could do. You stand somewhere and you proclaim the beautiful reality about the love and kindness of God, his greatness and his goodness. You celebrate it and you enjoy it forever. It's the only thing that you possibly could do. So this is what we've said. You worship for you to align yourself reality. You worship for God because he deserves it. He's great and he's good. But also you worship for other people. You worship for the next generation. Verse 4, 
One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. One generation will declare who God is to the next generation. They'll proclaim his mighty acts and that's how that generation will know him. Did you know that your worship is evangelism? That when you worship in a city, it transforms that city because it displays to that city what the reality of the universe is, the goodness and the greatness of God. So we recently, like Luke said, just launched our salt company. And here's what we did. We did a bunch of crazy stuff on campus to invite people to it. They carried a basketball hoop around everywhere. We did lots of weird like games and races and stuff like that. But all of that built to our kickoff where we set up in the middle of campus this giant outdoor stage and sound system and all this stuff, and we invited people to come to this kickoff. And then it was two minutes before the kickoff was supposed to start, and there was like no one there, and I was freaking out. And so was Anna, right? Anna, we talked about this. We were freaking out. We were losing it a little bit. And then we got to watch as hundreds of students who come late to everything came flooding around the corner and filled that lawn up. So we, for the first time, are introducing ourselves to a campus. And what do we do? Do we play some cool games? Games are fine. Do we talk about vision and values and what we want to see God do in the city? No. We worshiped. We stood on a stage in the middle of a public university, we taught the Bible, and we sang worship songs to Jesus which doesn't seem to make any sense. But why do we do that? It's because it declares to the world how amazing our God is. And only worship can declare it like that. Why specifically do we need worship? Why couldn't we just tell people or reason with people, although we do those things? Why do we need worship? There's this old phrase in marketing called the medium is the message. The medium is the message. It's not only what you say, it's the way that you're saying it, what medium is it coming through? The medium of worship is communicating something true about God. It's necessary. Why? Verse 7 tells us. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The first part is saying that we're sharing a story about the character of God. The second part is clarifying how we're telling that story. The way we tell the story is by singing it with joy. Why? Because people need to know that not only is God real, but he's desirable. They need to see our joy, and it will draw them to the joy of God. Here's why you exist as a church, ultimately. is to sing worship songs to the God of the universe, to declare to the city that he's worth following and that he's worth giving their lives to. And when people see you worship, they're going to want to know him because of your joy. That's an incredible calling. And this idea that, that God is not only true, but he's desirable changed my whole life. I grew up believing in God abstractly, but I hated church and felt crushed by the weight of Christianity. Because I had this stuff that I wanted to do over here and this stuff that I should do over here, this Christianity stuff. And so I would pursue this stuff instead of this stuff until I learned that the two things are one. That everything that I've wanted is actually the life that I can find in God. Jesus is the good life. He's desirable. 
And so we sing worship songs to Him. Worship is truth set on fire by joy. And truth set on fire by joy will transform the next generation. All right, that's great theory on worship. But how do we actually do it? So we need theory, but we need more than theory. Theory is essential, but it's not sufficient. One of the theories I had growing up about how to be a healthy person is what I call the the Midwestern growing boy theory. Anytime I would want to eat something, my mom would say, you're a growing boy, and then I would eat it. So I thought that more food was healthy and less food was unhealthy. If I want a pound of bacon, growing boy, eat it, right? That was my working theory on health. And then I got to college, and I changed my theory slightly, and my theory became eat whatever I want, but also eat something healthy on the side. So I would get my chicken strips and my fries, and then I would throw in some yogurt until Jessamy blew up that theory. And she was like, hey, just because you eat something else kind of healthy, it doesn't make the other things healthy. And by the way, that yogurt is full of sugar. And I was like, but I see healthy people eat yogurt all the time. I'm so confused by this. So my theory needed to change to understand what's actually healthy. That's essential. However, if my behavior didn't change, my theory changing is irrelevant, right? I need to understand what's healthy and then live in accordance with it. The fact that I have an exercise machine in my basement right now doesn't mean that I'm jacked because I'm not using that exercise machine. I need to start using it, right? Our theories need to change, but our behavior needs to change. Christianity is the same way. A lot of you grew up around great theories about Christianity. I know not all of you did, but some of you did. And you have great ideas about God, but your life hasn't changed. And that feels odd to you, and I'm saying that's actually not odd at all. Because changing your theory doesn't actually change your life. Your behavior needs to align with your new theory. You need to actually take steps towards living into the reality of God. So if you want to change your life, you need a plan for how you'll flex the muscle of worship on a daily basis. I'm getting that from verse 2. It says, I will praise you every day. So the psalmist is making a commitment to praise God regularly. So quick, rapid fire. Here are seven habits for regular worship. Why seven? Because I get annoyed when everything's in three and fives, and I didn't have enough good ideas for ten. Seven habits for regular worship. One, get up five minutes earlier. Get up five minutes earlier and just sit down, get your coffee, whatever you got to do, and just say a quick prayer to God and maybe read a psalm. Why five minutes? Well, if you try to start with an hour, you're going to get excited about that, but it's going to fall off. Do easy things and do them every day. Show up every day for it. Start with five, let that increase to 10 and then 15, whatever. It'll grow as you begin to enjoy it. Number two, give your phone a bedtime. If you have young kids, hopefully they go to bed before you. Otherwise, your house is going to be chaotic after you go to bed. You put the kids down, and then you have some time to yourself, and then you go to bed. Do the same thing with your phone. Put your phone in a drawer or put, push the magical button on the side of it. it. It shuts it off, actually, where it can't do anything to you. Put it away, and then... Look back on your day and review the presence of God. Where was he present in your day? Where did you notice him? And just pray. Spend a little bit of time reading your Bible. Spend a little bit of time just in silence before you fall asleep. Number three, uh, do a weekly Sabbath. Okay, for some of you, you're not a Christian, you're brand new to Christianity. That sounds weird. 
that's totally fine. You don't have to do this one, okay? But for you, if you're intrigued by that, here's what I mean by Sabbath. Devote an entire day to enjoying life with God. Devote a day to joy-filled worship and just enjoying your life. Number four, take your gatherings at church, change the category in your mind from optional to essential. So this thing that we're doing, put it in the essential category. Your, your city groups, put it in the essential category. When you have things on your schedule and there's conflict, what happens? The non-essential thing you don't go to, the essential thing you go to. I'm saying put this in the essential category where you're just showing up. If you're gone for the weekend, come back in time for church because you're reminding yourself about the reality of the universe. It's incredibly important for your life. It might not feel like it's changing you in the moment, but if you show up over time again and again, you will be transformed. Number five, set prayer alarms throughout the day. For me, I've got three of them um, that it's like morning, midday, and evening. And usually by noon, I've forgotten that I'm a Christian. I got stressed. I'm doing my work. I forgot about Jesus. That prayer alarm goes off, and for a minute, I remember that I'm a Christian. Even if it's 30 seconds, just take that time to pray. Number six, go on weekly tree walks. This is a weird one. It's where you walk outside and you just look at trees. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork day after day. They pour out speech night after night. They reveal knowledge. When you look at God's creation, you learn something about who he is, and it stirs you to worship. So do that one or don't do that one. That's fine. Number seven, silence snacks. This is not just eating a snack while you're quiet. What I mean by that is little snacks of silence throughout the day. So when you're driving home, shut off the radio and just sit in silence and pray for a second before you get home. Have a little moment of silence when you get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night and pay attention to the presence of God. Don't try to do all of these, okay? Just pick one and go with it or create your own, whatever, but commit to some form of regular worship and God, over time, will change your life through that habit. It won't seem like a big deal in the moment, but over time, it'll change who you are. All right, so I'm, I'm done. Let me just finish on an observation that I made earlier, verses one and two again. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. So notice this timing rhythm. He says forever and ever, so he's talking about the eternal. But then he comes back to the current every day, but then he goes back to eternal praise. When you are worshiping on this earth, what are you doing? You're rehearsing heaven. That day when you will be completed, perfected, worshiping and enjoying God forever in heaven. God designed you to be a conduit of his radiant goodness forever. That is the purpose of your life. And when you rehearse that here, you start to bring heaven down. You'll season this earth with heaven. And it'll start to look a little bit more like it. And as more of your life revolves around worship, you'll become a heavenly sort of person. As you delight in God, you'll become more like God. I can't imagine anything more worth your life than that. Your devotion, your intentionality, your effort, your prayers, everything you got. I can't imagine 
anything more worth your life than that, and that's because it's the very purpose of your life now and forever. So pursue him in worship. He's worth it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to take practical steps to be worshipers of you this week. That we wouldn't just stay in theory, but would actually learn how to practice what it means to be a Christian. But God, even more than that, I ask that you would compel us by the unbelievably good and great reality of your character. God, every day of our lives, we, we get convinced that something else is better than you. I do this all the time, God. Where I stand on a stage and talk about how great you are, and then I go out in my life and I forget, and I chase something else besides you. God, help me. God, forgive me. God, remind me of what's real and what's good and what's true and what's right and what's beautiful. And Lord, I pray that you would set this church's joy on fire by your Holy Spirit, and that this city would be changed, that people would see what's real in you, that they would experience the beauty and goodness of Jesus Christ, that this church's worship would draw people in from all sorts of different backgrounds, different places, people sinning and struggling, afraid that they would come in and they would experience who you are and that they would be changed forever. That through our worship now, that we would be able to stand with people in eternity, worshiping you face to face because of our worship here. God, change this city. Change this campus. You're worthy of worship from every living being. And so God, go create it through these people. Do through us what we can't do ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.